Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Ellie Sabag with a remake of that famous song called Nidarai opens things up here 
on yet another live edition of The Israel Show. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time, around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is. You could be listening all kinds of different ways. On the internet, on the iPod, iPad, iPhone, via the app, which is available free, the Nachum Single Network app, which is so amazing. It is available free on each of the stores of the uh, particular brands, whether it's the Android Gameplay, I think it's called, or iTunes App Store. And you can listen to us whenever you like, because on demand, that's the uh, slogan of, uh, of our generation. We want everything on demand, and you have it here with the Nachum Single Network. You can listen to our um, broadcasts whenever you like. Going back four years, more than four years, almost four and a half years, uh, via NachumSiegel.com. Go to the archives, which is on top, and then scroll over to the Israel Show. And same thing on the app. And if you need instructions on how to download the um, previous shows from the archive in the app, we have actually uh, really nice step-by-step diagrammed instructions. Just um, ask for it on the Facebook page or send us an email, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachumsiegel, S-E-G-A-L, dot com. Mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachumsiegel, dot com. And we thank you so much for making us a part of your week. Well, we're going to talk about Kotel Harhabayit. We're going to talk about UN Ambassador Haley in Israel, a little bit about that. And we'll talk about the um, incident that took place on Friday, this past Friday, involving the son of former Haver Knesset of Lipman, who was attacked in Meish Arim in a bookstore, in a Sfarim store. He went looking for a safer, and he was attacked in this Sfarim store because he was wearing an IDF uniform. And we'll discuss how that is part of a larger story, larger picture, and um, how that connects to stuff that's going on in the United States. All that coming up, whatever we have time for, I should say, not all that. Plus a lot of great music, lots of debuts today, lots of new songs coming out. So we're going to play new songs and almost new songs uh, for um, the duration. This is Wikipedia. We played it two weeks ago. Hanan Ben-Ari, very popular, the very popular um, religious Zionist music star. Uh, this is his latest. Very interesting words. If you can catch them, take a listen. If not, we're going to post a link to the video, like we do to all the other videos that we, songs that we played a video, and the words are there. Take a look. Fascinating stuff. Basically, breaking stereotypes. Wikipedia is it called? Wikipedia. My name is Peter Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. זרום עם המוח בהתניות אוטומטיות שלא דורשות לטרוח רק לתייג ולנבוח להסית ולסבוח לאלילי הרייטינג אייטמים בכל הכוח הכל כבר מסודר לנו בראש מגירות מגירות לא, לא ניתן למציאות להפריע לנו לראות שכל שמאלני הוא בוגד כל ערבי מחבל מתאבד כל חרדי הוא שודד וכל המתנחלים רצו את רבין כל תל אביב טבעונית, כל נתיבות מסורתית עממית, 
כל הדתיים, פרימיטיביים עם ציצית ועל הדרך מחקו את דרווין. אל תכלאו לי בשום כלום, אל תסכמו אותי בוויקיפדיה. אני הכל, אני לא כלום, אור אינסוף לבוש בגוף, אז אל תכלאו לי בשום כלום. תקראו לי דון קישוק של אלוהים, לא דוס שמדיר נשים, לא גשר בין המגזרים, ישרפו המגזרים, ישרפו דעות קדומות, לכל אחד יהיה סיכוי לכתוב את הסיפור שלו. כי אם הכל גדול וידוע מראש, קלישאות קלישאות, לא, לא ניתן למציאות להפריע לנו לראות ש... מזרחים מקופח, כל חילוני הוא כופר מלוכלך, כל הנשים למטבח וכל הרוסים, הרוסים על סטלין. כלו כבר כל הקיצים, כל חברי כנסת קופה של שרצים, כל האתיופים רצים, ואלו שלא שרים עם רייכל. Hanan Ben Ari, don't put me in a cage, don't put me in a box. Don't make assumptions based on stereotypes. Don't write about me in Wikipedia. Very cool song. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're here with us live on the Nachum Single Network on The Israel Show. So this made headlines last week, and all the people who... Uh, are still naive enough to think that we have someone to talk to about quote-unquote peace process that for, for, for my knowledge that might include the president of the United States um, Jabril Rajub who is um, one of the uh, higher-ups in the Palestinian Authority and he is the per, one of the people that is the heir apparent for Abu Mazen when he passed away. Abu Mazen is not a young man. Abu Mazen is the current president of the Palestinian Authority. So Jabril Rajub, according to reports, made a statement that 
Israel can have the Kotel, the Jews can have the wall, and we, the Muslims, will have the Temple Mount. Now, that obviously, for anyone who really cares enough about this topic, is not an acceptable arrangement. So those who think, oh, wow, look how great, they're ready to give us the Kotel, that, 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 this is exactly the problem with the last 50 years, the indoctrination that we've all gone through about the Kotel being the holiest place in the Jewish religion and so forth, recently mentioned by Ivanka Trump, mentioned by David Friedman. David Friedman should know better that the Kotel is not the holiest place in the Jewish religion, that Har Havai it is. But we've been painted this picture all along. The Kotel, the Kotel, the Harabayit is forgotten. It's in the background. We don't go there. And um, so this fed into that narrative. Yeah, you go, okay, you, you take the Kotel and we'll take Harabayit. And that's supposed to be a great concession by the Palestinian Authority. But the only problem is that he, uh, a, a little later, um, clarified. He clarified what he meant. He didn't mean the Jews can have the Kotel. He meant that the Jews can have day-to-day functional control over the Kotel, but not sovereignty, not ownership, because the Kotel is part of the Muslim Trust, the Waqf. It's part of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and it belongs to the Muslims, Bilvad, only to the Muslims. The Kotel. Oh, the people that thought, oh, okay, we'll give them Harabayat and we'll take the Kotel. No, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. They want everything. Somebody uh, said to me recently that uh, his Rav told him that he shouldn't go on Harabayat because it's a provocation. Of course, when we talk about going to Harabayat, we mean doing so halachically correctly, Pikdushah, after Tvilah, after consulting with a rabbi as to how to do and what to do and where you can go and where you can't. And there are many who uh, whose halachic um, authorities say you shouldn't do it, so we're not talking to those. We're talking to those who halachic authorities uh, have permitted and actually encouraged it. So... So this rabbi said to him, it's not that we can't go there because of Tumah, because there are more than enough areas on Harabayit that all agree do not have the Kedusha of Harabayit. But he says, we're inciting them. And I said, maybe ask him the fact that you're sitting in Yerushalayim, in your yeshiva. Is that not an incitement? Yes. Unfortunately, to the Arab world, the Jewish presence in the Middle East is aggression, is incitement. So, best case scenario of this whole brouhaha that that started last week and all the... um, those in the quote-unquote peace camp, they're not really, they call themselves the peace camp, it's great PR, but it's not, it's, they're in the capitulation slash surrender slash get killed camp. Those who thought that this was a tremendous thing now know that it is really a situation where the Muslims are ready in the best case scenario 
to have us have day-to-day control at the Kotel under their protection, under their umbrella, meaning the Muslim umbrella, but not that it is owned by the Jews, God forbid, in any way. That's what the Arabs say. Yeah, but what they really are saying mainly is none of it is yours. Forget about it. You think the Kotel is yours? Even that's not yours. And and the way that the Kotel Plaza was created, which was right after the Six-Day War, that they bulldozed the homes. So the Palestinians say, well, we're going to rebuild those homes so that there will be this narrow strip the way it was back in the day. And it's a holy place to Islam because this is the place that Muhammad tied his horse where he, when he ascended to Harabayit and from there to heaven. The only problem is they keep changing the place where Muhammad tied his horse to wherever it is that the Jews are praying uh, during that particular uh, time period. So, you know, moved from east to the south to the west and so forth. So, let's keep everything in perspective. We have to fight if we want to stay. And... Um, at least in this generation, there doesn't seem to be a partner for peace. We've tried it. We really have tried it, and it cost us many lives. And so by now, it would seem obvious. Is there some deal to be made? Maybe a temporary deal, but not a final peace agreement. So that's the end of those headlines. Not that they were good. Not that I think anyone could agree to, okay, we get the Kotel, they get Harabai. That would be such a perversion of the Jewish religion and Jewish history. Anyway, let's go to music. How's that? Ovadia Hamad is appropriate. Ovadia Hamama, Lo Eretz No A quote from one of the Hashmonai kings who tells the Greek king back in the days, post-Hanukkah period, that we have not captured the land, some foreign land, Lo Eretz Kavashnu, but we've returned to our forefathers' homeland, which was taken away from us years ago, and now that we are able to, we are returning to it. Hey, Can you think of a more uh, appropriate song and quote? My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Lakachnu 
ולא ברכות זרים, מה שאלנו? כי אם נחלת, נחלת אבותינו, אשר נכבשה בעת מן העיתים, ולא משפט. וכאשר היה לידינו, השיבונו אותה לנו. לא ארץ נוכריה לקחנו, ולא ברכוש זרים משלנו. נחלת אבותינו, אשר נכבשה בעת מן העיתים ללא משפט. וכאשר היה ליל ידינו, השיבונו אותה לנו. וכאשר היה ליל ידינו, עובדיה חממה, 
off of his album Shamaim Varetz. That was a groundbreaking, uh, quite frankly, a groundbreaking uh, album. Lo Eretz Nochria Lakach. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show live on the Nachum Siegel Network. So, this issue of um, yeshiva students serving in the Israeli army, this goes back to uh, 1948, the famous agreement that uh, Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion made with, uh, after meeting with the Chazon Ish in B'nai Brak. And um, the issue has raised its head again recently over the last five years or so. And there are lots of reasons for it. Let's not get into why. But some of what is happening is that the Israeli army is welcoming those from the Haredi world who are not studying in yeshiva and who want to be part of Israeli society in the sense of want to work, want to make a living, and so forth. And they've approved, incorporated what's called the Nachala Haredi, which is a, a separate uh, unit so that Haredi young men can serve in the army without being worried about not being in a religious environment and other other uh, uh, steps that the army has taken. Uh, I'm not saying that the army is totally innocent. There are things that the army has done recently to push away, not the Haredi world, but the Kippasuga world, because they felt that they were getting a little too strong in the army. But that, that's a whole nother discussion. Let's just stay with this. Well, there is a minority within the Haredi world in Israel, a minority, probably a small minority, but a vocal one, as always, that has taken up this issue as a fight, as its banner, as its flagship. And the heads of this grouping, the rabbinical heads, have basically given out the word that they should be protesting publicly in the streets, and uh, that if you see a Haredi young man wearing a uniform walking into your neighborhood, you should attack him, scream at him, yell at him, embarrass him. And they even made up a derogatory word, Hardak. And Hardak is, it's... Uh, <laughs> It stands officially for Haredi Kal Da'at. A Haredi who, who's, who's um, not very thoughtful. So that's why he goes to the army, because he's a Kal Da'at. But it also sounds like a combination of Haidak, which is a virus, and Harak, which is a bug, a, you know... A, um, a creepy crawler bug. So, you have situations where a Haredi soldier in his uniform, because he's wearing his uniform, coming back from the army service, is walking into a shul in Bnei Brak, let's say, to Tachapa Mincha, as they say, and he's yelled at and attacked, sometimes thrown out. 
Well, this past Friday, Shlomo Lipman, who is the son of the former Knesset member Dove Lipman, who is now in the army, walked into a Sfarim store in Meisharim to buy a Sefer before Shabbat. And as he was perusing the Sfarim on the shelf, suddenly dozens and dozens of people congregated outside the store yelling and screaming at him, Hardak, Tauf Mipo, get out of here. Some actually made their way into the store, threatening him, and it was a, a very unpleasant scene, and he didn't know how he was going to get out of there. Well, one of the workers in the store, who clearly is of the other side, is of the majority that are against this kind of behavior, said to Shlomo Lippmann, come with me, I'll get you out of here. He took him downstairs through a back um, a back opening and got him out of the store and through some alleyways. And unfortunately, they caught wind of where he was, the Asaf Suf, if we use a word from the parsha that we just read, the rabble-rousers. And they started running after him again and in fact, some say throwing stones at him. Well, then some other Haredim, I believe they said they were Toldos Aaron, Rabbi Aralach, grabbed him and helped him to safety. So you have a situation where within the Haredi world, there is a minority who have taken upon themselves, through their rabbinic leadership, to embarrass anyone who joins the army in any way, shape, or form to call them names, to deride them, to create an atmosphere of hatred toward them. And then you have the majority who don't serve, but they're not attacking those who do. It is said that the two camps are headed by the following two rabbis, the the, uh, radical smaller group is led and they're called the um, Peleg Hayushalmi the Yushalmi Splinter Splinter group are led by Rav Shlomo Oribach and the majority are led by Rav Steinman And this is a war, a a major war, because the Pelagai Yushalmi continually takes very, very active role, an active role. They they are out there, they're demonstrating their 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 you know, putting on Pashkavils and graffiti, and they're doing everything possible to embarrass those who go to the army, and they have told their adherents not to go to register for the draft. Now, how does that work in Israel? Everybody at the age of 18 has to go into the army, but 
if you are someone who is Torah to Umanuto, your full-time job, your Umnut, is learning Torah, you get a deferral. And you get it for as long as Torah to Umanuto. As long as you're learning full-time, you have a deferral. All you have to do is go down and register. Like in any other country, somebody pointed out to me, it's like, like in America too. You reach a certain age, you have to register for the draft. If you don't, you're breaking the law. They'll arrest you. But a Shmuel Arbach, did I say Shlomo? Shmuel Arbach. Rav Shmuel Arbach, excuse me, has told his adherents not to go. Because if you go, they're going to try and convince you to, to go to the army and uh, all kinds of stories. So all you have to do is go down and say, I don't want to serve in the army because I am studying and it's over. And yet, no matter the generosity, if you will, of the Israeli people in allowing this and the Israeli government, you have this group who fights it in the most radical way, in a most radical way, I should say, and Dove Lippmann is just one example. Now, what happened over the past few months is as this group has been getting more and more active, the Israeli police have said, we can't tolerate this situation, the Israeli government said, we can't tolerate this situation where, A, they're not going to register, and B, they're going to attack soldiers, Israeli soldiers in the street are going to be attacked by the mob. Not the mob, by a mob. And so they asked the police to, to, to put an end to this. And what did the police do? They've done, they've sent in undercover officers in uniform. And when they're attacked, they arrest those that attack them. And sometimes these attacks, by the way, get really violent. There's videos of real violence of Haridim attacking uh, soldiers. And so the, the pictures that have come about were, were showed yesterday at the rally, at a rally in Brooklyn. Pictures that claim that the government of Israel has a Gzeirat Shmad wants to totally dismantle the Jewish Orthodox way of life and they're doing it through the army and they're sending police out to arrest whoever doesn't go to serve and so forth. It's all, it's a bunch of lies. It's really nothing more than a pack of lies. If you're studying in yeshiva, all you got to do is go down to the draft office and say so and you're out and that's it. Can you? I can't imagine a more benevolent situation from a country that's at war, from a country that is constantly at war and has been at war from day one. To say hundreds of thousands of their young people are exempt for the draft while hundreds of thousands of others have to put their life on the line. <clears throat> and And again, the majority of the people in Israel don't accept... 
what the Haredi world says, we're the ones who are protecting you because we're learning Torah. There, you can't expect a, a, a can't respect certain religious people to believe that. You surely can't respect their religious people to believe that. So that's where we are. We're having this little internal fight, which seems to have some other motivations too about who will be the leadership in the Haredi world and what their attitude will be toward any working out a situation so that Haredi young men can serve in one in, in some way that is meaningful and yet not harmful. And part of what's pushing this is that the young Haredi men do not want to spend their life in poverty. They want to go to study. They want to be part of Israeli society and they understand that the only way to do that is to find an accommodation with the army. And that pressure is from below. Okay. So having said all that, let's go to something happy. Brand new Adir Getz, Lihiyot B'Simchat Tamid. Let's be joyous. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. לא נרדמתי בלילה, היה איזה זבוב לא הפסיק לזמזם והכלב נבח ונבח על הכלב של השכן גם נגמר החלב המקרה, רק זה מה שהיה לי חסר והחולצה שרציתי לשים רטובה, כלום לא מסתדר דווקא עכשיו הכי חשוב לזכור להיות בשמחה תמיד, להיות בשמחה תמיד להאמין שהכל אין בו
קמתי בבוקר מודה אני לפניך תמיד איך כולם מסביבי קופצים משמחה מאושרים בכל שנייה ביום, בכל מקום להיות בשמחה תמיד, להיות בשמחה תמיד להאמין שהכל אין טובה, לבקש רק בריאות ואמונה להיות בשמחה תמיד, להיות בשמחה תמיד להודות על כל מה שיש לחייך לעולם, לא לפחד, לרוץ קדימה
brand new music. That was Shimmy D.E. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I think that's how he pronounces it. With Betocha um, Emuna, before that Adir gets with Liot Besimcha Tamid. My name is Mayor Wagan. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, on our um, app, I am having a um, very polite and um, nice and proper exchange with one of our listeners, Shloimi E. And those of you who uh, want to take a look at it, you got to get there before the hour is over. But if you're listening to an archived edition, I believe that on the app you could see the comments section. Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, author, historian, published a column, I believe this was in the Wall Street Journal, was it? I'm sorry, I believe so. And he paints a scenario, what would have happened if the Six-Day War turned out otherwise? Remember now that there are those in the left in Israel who think that the Six-Day War was a big tragedy, a disaster. And um, it was better if it wouldn't have happened. And so Ambassador Oren tries that take. At the dawn on June 5th, 1967, he writes, hundreds of Egyptian jets penetrated Israeli airspace. Israeli pilots scrambled, but too late. Their planes were destroyed on the ground. Simultaneously, Egyptian armored columns broke through Israel's southern defenses and within hours rolled through Beersheba. Elsewhere, in Jerusalem, Jordanian troops surrounded the western half of the city, cutting off its Jewish population and began advancing toward Tel Aviv. Syrian forces descended from the Golan Heights, took Tiberias, and marched on Haifa. The armies of several other Arab states also participated, overwhelming the Israelis who were outnumbered and outgunned and finally surrendered. Six days later, the war was over. Much of the Jewish state lay in ruins, and untold numbers of its population, uniformed and civilian, were dead. Many of the survivors struggled to evacuate on U.S. Navy ships that the occupiers allowed to approach the coast. Radios throughout the region broadcast Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser's declaration of victory over Zionism and the total liberation of Palestine. I'll add that maybe they let a few out, but if, God forbid, they would have won that war, if, God forbid, the Arabs would have won the Six-Day War, the Jewish people would have been obliterated. The The Jewish state would have been obliterated and the Jews would have been killed and slaughtered like, um, like in the Holocaust. Well, continues now, Michael Oren, the international community, meanwhile, remained passive. There was no need for the Security Council to demand a ceasefire or to establish a principle of territory for peace. Arab armies ruled all the territory and eliminated any need for peace. Churches and synagogues across the United States held memorial ceremonies, while the Soviets, the Arabs' main military backers, paraded through Red Square. Everywhere in the Middle East, in Baghdad, Damascus, Beirut, millions took to the streets in celebrations calling for death to the West. 
Notice they can't call for death to Israel anymore. The putative winners of the war were the Palestinian refugees from Israel's creation 19 years earlier. Nasser permitted them to return to the deserted Israeli towns and cities, but they found themselves under military occupation, similar to Egypt's in Gaza or a harsh civilian administration such as Jordan's in the West Bank. Egypt quickly annexed the Negev Desert. Jordan claimed Jerusalem. Syria absorbed the Galilee. The small corridor that remained was placed under the Palestinian Liberation Organization, an Egyptian front group erected by Nasser three years earlier. Its rival, Al-Fatah, led by Yasser Arafat, was crushed. Well, this had wide repercussions. Amongst the hardest-hit casualties of the Six-Day War were the Jews outside Israel. The American Jewish community still traumatized by the Holocaust. Israel's defeat was thoroughly demoralizing. For the three million Jews languishing under Soviet oppression, the despair was even deeper. Having looked to the Jewish state for the inspiration and courage to demand their freedom, Soviet Jews now resigned themselves to eventual extinction. No peace process, no U.S.-Israel alliance, no resurgence of Jewish identity, no hope for Soviet Jews. These are just several of the possible consequences of the Six-Day War, had its outcome been different. And again, I add, the death of all the Jews that were in Israel, that also was a consequence. But fortunately, writes Michael Oren, fortunately, it was Israel's Air Force that destroyed Egypt and and Israeli troops that captured the Sinai Peninsula. Jordan and Syria did attack Israel, but were quickly driven from the West Bank, Yudan Shimron will say, Jerusalem and the Golan Heights. Yet none of those scenarios were foreseen by Israeli leaders before the war. On the contrary, they braced for disaster. Recalling Nasser's use of gas against its enemies in Yemen not, not that long ago, Israel distributed gas masks to its civilian population and dug in dug 10,000 graves for the expected casualties. Israeli Prime Minister Levi Eshkol sickly urged Arab rulers not to fight and waited three nerve-wracking weeks while U.S. President Lyndon Johnson tried unsuccessfully to mediate. Even after Israel's remarkable victory, the government voted to return most of the captured territory in return for treaties with Egypt and Syria. Palestinian notables were asked to set up an autonomous West Bank entity. All these overtures were rejected. Still, Israel supported UN Resolution 242 and acted that November and its concept of territory for peace. Breaking away from Michael Arn for a moment, do you hear the absurdity? <laughs> No matter how many times the nations, the Arabs that surround us tell us no, we still keep coming back to this, oh, if we just do this, it'll be okay. If we just do that, it'll be fine. That resolution, says Michael Oren, 242, served as the basis of the Israel-Egypt peace treaty, which in turn led to reconciliation between Israel and Jordan. Today, 50 years after the war, most Arab leaders accept Israel's existence and even view it as a bulwark against Iran. Because of the Six-Day War, the Syrian civil war rages far from the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, the border before 1967. And a strengthened Israel 
serves as a democratic pro-American anchor in a still chaotic Middle East. So, for all of you, for all of those who say, oh, the Six-Day War was a disaster. It was a terrible thing. It was better if it didn't happen. It was better if we didn't take all those lands and expand Israel the way we have. Think about what the alternative would have been. There would be no state of Israel. That's what, what the that's what the alternative would have been. And Israel took a huge risk, but really had no choice at the end. And Israel pleaded with Jordan to stay out of the war, and Jordan did not listen. So we thank Hashem for the miracles that He showed us. Biblical in their awesomeness, the miracles of the Six Day War. And we realize how horrible the consequences might have been otherwise. Shlomo Gronich with. Shirim Pishutim. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
שלמה גרוניך. שירים פשוטים, קוראים לזה, that one a little short. Because our time is almost up, and we're going we're gonna to find the papers. <laughs> we're going to find the papers that have what I'm looking for. Hopefully, eventually we'll find it, because if we don't find it, we're just going to keep going. Here we go. First, please, I remind you, To keep in mind, for Rufuah Shalema, Uri Avraham ben Elisheva, Uri Avraham ben Elisheva, and Shoshana bat Rachel. Shoshana bat Rachel. And we're going to close out with Mashu Naim Lanishama from Hatik Vashesh, from their new album, Hakolod Lefanai. Before we do that, we're going to say thanks to so many different people. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Single Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, an hour of great Jewish music, followed by an encore presentation of Headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. And until next Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Thank <laughs>
Thank you. 